Well, we've had a very big weekend of focusing on the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And nothing does the believer more good than getting back to those great fundamentals of our Christian faith. So, what do we do now? A new week is before us. And another year of ministry is before us. What now? Well, our work is to tell the good news of the gospel to the world and to be evangelists. But people ask, why do we bother in this 21st century? There are so many problems in the world and hindrances. This pandemic, COVID-19, still rages. Who could have thought that we would be going through wave six. Uh, We thought if we get through the first spring way back uh, 2020, we thought, well, get through this, we'll be fine. And here we are still battling COVID. And all the experts seem to tell us we're going to have to learn to live with this for quite a time to come. Then also, the world is at war. The Cold War that we thought was over between Russia and the West, well, it has gone into reverse gear, and it's going to take decades, at least, to bring us out of that terrible damage that has been done in these recent weeks. In Canada, there is a leaning more and more to immorality. The laws of our land, the educational system, and the acceptance of perverted lifestyles is actually very depressing. Nothing grieves my heart more than to see young lives led into what is going to destroy them. It is very, very sad. In Canada, the great apostasy of the ecumenical churches has been devastating. As I have become a resident now in Ontario, I have noticed the number of Presbyterian churches all around in the countryside, Coburg here, and Port Hope, and up by Barrie, and Stainer, and Collingwood. Every town has a, a significant Presbyterian church building and I can imagine how the pioneers arrived with their convictions of the Bible and the gospel to build churches for the generation rising around them that there would be the witness of the gospel but it's gone the ecumenical movement and apostasy has brought in heresies galore so that those buildings are now houses of every unclean bird. And it is very, very sad. Nevertheless, I do not believe tonight that God is done with building his church and gathering in his people. This book of Isaiah in particular is a word from the Lord to reveal to us that God has a plan. Now, Isaiah 53 is sandwiched between the great missionary goal of reaching the world. 
For example, if you go back to chapter 52, verse 10, you read these words. Chapter 52, 10. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And that's just before Isaiah 53. The man of suffering. The redeeming work of our Lord. And then as we move into chapter 4, we notice this new note. To sing, O barren. And down in verse 5, you will see there is the worldwide program of the gospel. Well, thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. And so we must ever continue to preach the crucified Christ to this needy, lost world, wherever God may put us and give us opportunity. Why? Because of Isaiah 53. If you were to wipe out Isaiah 53 and erase the history of Calvary, well, we would be really depressed. The last thing we would want to go is to be missionaries to a lost world. But now we know that because Christ has died, God's wrath is turned to infinite mercies. Look at verse 8 of chapter 4, 54. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. And this leads to great confidence. Great confidence. And that confidence comes out of Calvary. Now I want you to notice something. In chapter 53, verse 10 to 12, which is really the result of the crosswork. The previous verses, 1 to 10, deals with, you know, he's despised, he's rejected, he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief and he, by his stripes we are healed that's the work of atonement in verse 10 it says in please the father the lord to bruise him he hath put him to grief when thou shalt make a soul an offering for sin now what comes is a list of shalls and there's eight of them verse 10 to 12 these are absolutes they are gospel certainties. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his day. The Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And then there's one more in verse 12. Therefore will I divide with him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. And that's the language of a conqueror who is going to spread all the blessings of his victory. And that's the program of the gospel that we are in tonight. Praise the Lord. This is our work. 
Now, who's going to do this work? The Lord's Church. Sing, O Baron. The Fainting Church. The Downcast Church. And you'll notice that the Lord encourages His people to rise up and do this work of evangelism and gospel ministry. And He encourages them with this word in verse 4. Fear not. For. Now, there are a total of nine reasons given. The word for, which could be because, is the first one. For thou shalt not be ashamed. Also verse 4, for thou shalt not be put to shame. Also verse 4, thou shalt not forget the shame of thy youth. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth. Verse 5, for thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. Then the next one, verse 6. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken. Verse 7. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. Verse 9 is another one. Also in verse 9. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee nor rebuke thee. There is the covenant of the rainbow that was given to Noah. Then the last one, verse 10, For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Now these are great promises to the Lord's church. In our weakness, and even in our past failures. Indeed, the history of this, that these words were given to God's people in exile the 70 years in Babylon and because of their failure and their disloyalty to the Lord God sent a heathen army that carried them into exile into Babylon and God was giving them a word of hope I'm going to use you again your shame is going to be over and I am going to visit you in mercy. Now that's what we pray for the Lord's church tonight. For the Lord's work at this very time. Now, what really thrills my heart as I look at this chapter is the reference to the Gentiles. If you look at verse 3, you will see that it is to all men for thou shalt break forth on the right hand on the left and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles now the Gentiles are the nations that know not God the unreached they were outside of Israel outside of Jewry God's program is not narrow his intent from the Old Testament times written by the prophet Isaiah is to expand the work of the gospel to the nations of the world but somehow the early Christians had a, they didn't get it one of the most difficult things that they had to wrestle with 
that the gospel is not just for Jews, it's also for Gentiles. And yet in the book of Isaiah, it was so abundantly clear. Let's look at a few references. Back in chapter 49 and verse 20, 49, 20. Children which thou shalt have, after thou hast lost the other, shall say again in thine ears, The place is too straight for me. Give place to me that I may dwell. Then shalt thou say in thine heart, Who hath gotten me these, saying I have lost my children, and am desolate, a captive, and removing to and fro, and so on. Write down that chapter. And verse 21. And who hath brought up these? Behold, I was left alone, these which they have been. And then verse 22, this is the one I want to get to. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles, and set up my standard to the people. And they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders. And kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. Chapter 42, verse 1 of Isaiah as well. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And so there are quite a number of references in this Old Testament prophecy of a day when the gospel will reach the nations of the world. And it's going to happen because of Calvary. Now how is this going to be done? Well, if you look at verse 7 back in chapter 54, you will see that God promises to do the work. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. Here's God working now. Here is God's program, gathering his church. And it began with restoring the exiled people back to Jerusalem and the rebuilding of that city and the temple. God used Cyrus. Then we know what God did at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, the gospel was preached, not just to Jews, but to people of various parts of the world. Then there was the New Testament churches that were formed in cities like Corinth, a cosmopolitan city, the crossroads of nations, where you had lords and people and slaves that became members of the church. Likewise in Rome and the various parts of the Mediterranean world. We could move then to the Reformation in the 1400s through to the 1600s. How in Europe the gospel expanded exponentially then there were the revivals of the 1700s through the Wesleys. In the 1800s, in the days of D.L. Moody, the revivals of New York, of 
Wales, Scotland. Those were the days of Spurgeon when it seemed that every Sunday was a day of revival. 1859 in Ulster, God moved and gathered in a hundred thousand souls. I spoke a little this morning about Korea. In the 1900s, American missionaries arrived in Asia. They took the gospel. Today, the gospel of Christ is preached in those parts of the world. It's a great joy to me once to go to Singapore and preach over there at the Bible Presbyterian Church. And I learned something that the Chinese people were asking. What took you so long to come here with the gospel? When you think about it, it was very late in the day. In China today, it's quite possible that there are more born-again Christians than in North America. Now that's, when I heard that first from Dr. Kearns, it took a while to sink in. But there are untold numbers of Christians. I have a contact in northern China who emails me periodically. And he's building a reformed church. And he's a very gifted and a very dedicated pastor to his people. And so we know that God is not done with saving his people, building his church. And so there is strong reasons for us tonight to evangelize. And I think I have answered the question, why evangelize? Because it's God's program. It's not the Free Presbyterian program. It's not just the zeal of a man or a congregation. It's the zeal of the Lord. And true evangelism is entering into God's program. So when we evangelize, we enter into God's program. If you look at chapter 52.10, chapter 52.10, that's just before chapter 53, obviously, and it says, The Lord hath made bare His holy arm in the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God it's God's arm God's power because we cannot convert sinners and we cannot turn men to the Lord but as we evangelize we enter into the harvest of the Lord and we are serving in his kingdom and we are preaching his mission not man's God is full of grace to sinners we need to be burdened with that God is full of grace to sinners and his heart beats out of love to seek the lost God will out-evangelize every one of us. We could not outdo the program of God. 
But our real purpose is to get on board in what God is doing and will do in the nations of the world, including Canada. Now, as you go to verse 5, when we are in God's program of evangelism, we preach a powerful redeemer. It says, For thy maker is thine husband, that's thy creator. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Now here in the Old Testament we learn something of the character of our Savior. He's God. That's the first thing. He is our husband. He cares for the church. He's our maker. We owe everything to him. He's our personal redeemer. It says thy redeemer. And he went to the cross. He suffered and bled and died in our place. Now a redeemer in the Bible is always someone who has responsibility. And in the Bible there is reference made to a kinsman redeemer. A relation. Someone who cares and who takes responsibility. You have in the book of Ruth the story of Boaz who became the kinsman redeemer. He was related and he was able after various negotiations to step in and redeem Ruth out of her poverty and bondage. This our redeemer does for us. He is our personal redeemer. And we can confidently call the worst of sinners to look to the Lord as the author and finisher of their faith. We have a great Savior to preach to the world. He cares. He has finished the work. And he is as a husband to a wife. He will love sinners all the way to the cross and all the way to glory. Now when we're in God's program of evangelism we will gather his people from the whole earth. You'll notice in verse 7 for a small moment have I forsaken thee but with great mercies will I gather thee. And then back in verse 5, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. On that great day, when the Lord gathers his church and presents the church to his Father, he will gather people of every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue, I read this in Revelation 7, 9. You may want to mark the text. i read it to you. Revelation 7, 9. After this, I beheld and 
lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. So, you can confidently give the gospel to any Canadian, whether there be indigenous, meeting, whether they be Eskimo, whether they be from any tribe or people of this nation, or any that have come to this nation from around the world. And we're living in a multicultural society. We have a mission field all around us. And it doesn't matter the heritage or the nationality or the legacy of any individual, you can give them the gospel. And the Lord saves his people from every background. And we're called to preach the gospel to every creature. And shame on us for not doing it. Shame on the Christian that has all the hope and all the good news of the gospel and does not take that message to the lost in some capacity. Now I want to encourage and I was hoping to get to this right at the end personal evangelism. Not everybody thinks they can do that. But everybody should be burdened for it. Everybody should be praying for it. And everybody should be supporting a church that is evangelistic. It was the conviction of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones that every church should have one specifically evangelistic service per week. And if you don't, the church will flounder. He pointed to what happened in Wales. In Wales, there were various waves of revival. Churches were abounding. Churches were full. And ministers were preaching to congregations that were formed out of revival. And ministers assumed that everybody was converted. They stopped preaching the gospel. A generation grew up that didn't know the gospel. And Wales has plummeted into decline and darkness virtually. It's a great tragedy. And it has happened in many places. Now when a church sets itself to have evangelistic services and meetings where the ABC of the gospel is proclaimed. The first time hearers may grasp what the Lord has done in his death for sinners. Every member in the church should be on board in some way. And the greatest thing you can do for this church is to bring in 
the lost. Neighbors, contacts, family members, whoever you can. And come with them, sit with them, and maybe let the preacher know, I've got so-and-so coming this Sunday, and they're, they're going to hear the gospel. I tell you, your minister will never preach better. <laughs> He'll never prepare harder. He's got now the joy of preaching to raw souls that need the gospel. It will be a thrill in the church. It will revive the church. It will give you a mission in the work of the church. And notice in verse 13 in this chapter that there's a special promise to children. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord. And great shall be the peace of thy children. What a wonderful promise. Is there not a parent here that needs to plead that one? Is there not an effort that we ought to make to reach our very own children and our grandchildren with the good news of the gospel and pray that God will save them and bring them in? I cringe for the youth of our nation. We know something of what's going on in the public school system. It is wicked, diabolical. When you have children in the lowest grades learning a perversion that should shock adults, never mind kids. When I went to a public school, I went through that high school. I never knew what sodomy was. I never had no idea. It was not until I became a Christian and started reading my Bible that I found out what sodomy was. There was no such thing in my world. No such talk of it in the playground, never mind in the classroom. But my grandchildren, it had to be sat down and told what this is about. There's people down the street that live that way. This is a wicked generation we're living in. And we need to be burdened for the generation of the children. And the modern church has stolen our children. Stolen them to an entertainment style of worship. When a family goes to a church like that for a period of time, and then they were to arrive in here to check out this church, teenagers will look up at their parents and say, no way I'm coming here. Because to them, this, this is not their idea of church. Their idea of church is fun and games and programs to sit in a seat and hear the word of God is foreign to them. And so many parents succumb and many parents seek a church where their kids will be at least for a time 
เรื่องไรเ
to the shipyard workers. It said of his ministry that he turned riots to revival. A man with power to preach. I have met a few people who were converted through his ministry. He was there at the ordination of Dr. Paisley. He prayed the ordination prayer. You may have heard the story of how he prayed that God would give Dr. Ian Paisley the tongue of a cow. And if you've ever stroked a cow's tongue the wrong way, it will actually cut you. And so he prayed that Ian Paisley would have a cutting ministry. And he did. He did. Dr. McClelland was converted through Dr. Paisley. Mr. Cranston was converted through Dr. McClelland. And I was Mr. Cranston's first convert in his first church in Omaha. We are indebted to those who have gone before us. And I can only bless God for the day that the Lord sent Reggie Cranston to my hometown where I heard the gospel and on September 1st, 1974 was saved. What a night it was. You haven't forgotten. No, sir. And I, Mueller, and I have certainly not forgotten that evening. When after the service, I remember the night at the door, our brother said, now Beulah was just a little, I told you before that, you know, how I, we met again. We'd known each other at school. And we met again at the, at the church morning service. That was May. This now is September. And I had been hearing the gospel week after week after week. And that night I was so convicted and so convinced of my need of Christ. And going out that door, Beulah was a step in front of me. And the minister said, Mr. Cranston said, I'll see you around there, Beulah. And then I realized that she also had indicated her need to be saved. And then he said the same thing to me. Now around there was a little tiny shed attached to the wooden structure of that church building and we had a walk around the gravel down to the back door and in and there we met together the Reverend Cranston read the scriptures and had us pray and that night going home I knew I was saved and the next day I also knew it because the next day I happened to be in the company of my aunt I was very fond of her spent a lot of summer holidays with her her family but she took the Lord's name in vain and it was like an arrow in my heart I never noticed it before it was not only taking the Lord's name in vain that was my saviour she was talking and I knew that day that I was converted. And in a few years later, that was 1974, three years later, after I had been accepted by the presbytery to study to, for the ministry, Mr. Cranston and I were traveling together to the theological hall to prepare ourselves for the ministry. 
No, he was reviewing the way ahead of me. I had a lot of ground to catch up on. I was the greenhorn. I knew nothing. But that's the Lord's mercies. And here is Isaiah recording the Lord's mercies that are infinite, not ending. And you're here tonight because of God's mercies to you. You're a Christian tonight because of the Lord's mercies. And we are called to evangelize the world because God is still working in mercy. Now, I trust that you will use these leaflets. And I would be very happy if you want to copy any number of them. It's a gospel leaflet. It talks about Abel's lamb, the Passover lamb, Israel's lamb, Isaiah's lamb, and then God's lamb. And then it talks about your lamb. You need God's lamb. All men need God's lamb. Then your faith in God's lamb. Then the power of the Lord's lamb to save you from sin. And then lastly, make the Lord Jesus Christ your lamb. Now can you imagine if you've got a leaflet like that through the mailbox or someone knocked the door and said, look, I've got a, a message for you. I want you to read. Could you imagine how the Lord could use that? And think of your neighbors and friends who, I don't know what it would take to bring them into church, but you can take the gospel to them. And I know some people like to use social media, Facebook and all the rest, but there's still something about somebody giving you a hard copy and asking them to read it. And we pray that it will get into the home and it will be read and reread by the family. Now sometimes when I go around giving out gospel leaflets, I think it's better just to put it in the mailbox because at least they'll take it. If I knock the door and say, I've got a, a gospel leaflet for you from our church, well, they would say, well, I'm not interested. Then they close the door. And you, you haven't gotten anything into the home. So, perhaps at the first round, just put it in the mailbox. Slip it at the door. And it will hopefully get read. Then maybe a month later, go back with your next leaflet. And then start to ask, well, are you getting these? Are you reading these? And, you know, don't talk to them about, are you going to church? Sorry, well, I'm going to go to St. Mary's, Catholic Church, whatever. Don't get into that. Just give them the gospel. And there are certain key questions that you can say at the door. Now, I'm thinking of you going to your neighbors. Or maybe if you're having an evangelistic team in the church, wouldn't it be great to have two or four going out with this message periodically? What could you say to them? What would your first word be when you knock the door and, and it gets answered and you hope it's not the dog that comes barging out, by the way? What would you say? What would your first line of speech be? Well, don't say, do you go to church? 
that gets you right off topic right away and that gets you on the level of which church is best and you almost have to get defensive and say well that's wrong I don't like that church and that doesn't go too well better to say do you know the ABC of the gospel and they might say well what's that and then you've got a pulpit A is all have sinned B behold the Lamb of God and C call on the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved and there you are you've got a little sermon right at the doorstep and they ask they ask for it you ask do you, you know, do you know the ABC of the gospel and you well, what is that then of course you could ask do you read the Bible that's usually a very fruitful question because if people says no then you know that you have to start right from the scratch if they say yes you would say well what part of the Bible do you like and then you would say did you ever read this verse maybe John 3.16 maybe Ephesians 2 verse 8 mm-hmm. uh, we're saved by faith not of works it's the gift of God and I, there's something powerful just standing at the doorstep of someone with your Bible and you might have that verse highlighted and you point to it and say here it is in the Bible this is God's promise to you you just think of the impact of that as someone stands in the doorway getting the message then you may say do you have a Bible would you like me to get you one wouldn't that be wonderful getting a Bible into a home where it's requested I had that happen to me this week it's a a very encouraging thing the other thing you can do is, is well I've got a good gospel booklet for you and I would recommend the new beginning a new beginning you could also say to them if the conversation goes well would you like to give me your email and we'll keep you posted on further announcements or messages from the church then you can pray what a revolution this will be to your prayer life you've got somebody's address and name come to the church and pray as a church and you can have the minister say look would you pray for a certain man I talked to this week gave the literature it seemed to go well pray the Lord works and speaks this is evangelism and you can do it you can do it maybe go two by two maybe more appropriate in some cases some neighborhoods it would be advisable going two so the Lord sent his disciples out two by two and it was a wise thing to do ladies I would certainly recommend that or a husband and wife that would be excellent then you have all angles covered if it's a lady you can have the wife do a little more of the talking that shouldn't be difficult (laughs) or if it's some tough boxer looking guy the wife might want to step back and let the husband do the talking and you'll see what your husband's made of then. <laughs> These are ways that you can do the Lord's work. 
Let us not look upon the church with a professional attitude. You've got to go to Bible college, you've got to be ordained, you've got to be the professional. I'm not paid to do that. Once you start doing saying that, you rob yourself of many opportunities to present the gospel. And so I do pray that this leaflet will be a blessing and that you will use it over and over. And again, feel free to copy it over and over. And may the Lord encourage you as you get into the work of this personal evangelism. What you could also do is scan it and forward it by email. You've probably got dozens of email addresses. You could forward these. These are great possibilities. So I want to say at the close of these meetings, thank you. Thank you, brother, for calling. I know I was at the bottom of the pile somewhere. <laughs> Almighty. But thank you for inviting me to come and preach and to bring the word this weekend. It has been a blessing and an honor. And I trust that the Lord will bless this congregation more and more, Amen. reward your labors, your faithfulness, and give you strength and great joy. I trust it not be a burden to be a Christian, a burden to be a free Presbyterian. It should be a joy, and it is a joy. And we find God for every blessing that comes our way. So the Lord be with you and keep you until we meet again. Amen. Amen.